Welcome to Conversations About Adoption. This is a podcast where I, an adoptee, have conversations with people directly affected by adoption, other adoptees, and parents of loss to adoption, with occasional special guests. I'm your host, Jen. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Jenny, a mother of loss to adoption. It is an honor to have her on as this is her first podcast episode and the first time publicly sharing the story of how she lost her child to the industry standard coercive practices implemented toward pregnant women who were vulnerable because they lack support and resources. Adoption. Unfortunately, this means her story is not very unique in that way. In recent months, she became motivated to find a way to make change that would promote family preservation by starting a nonprofit. So in addition to telling us her story, she will let us know how her nonprofit is going to work, and I think it's brilliant. She plans to have her app launched sometime this summer, and in the meantime, they are working on organizing, fundraising, and building the site and app. On to my conversation with Jenny. Okay, so I am talking to, do you prefer Jenny or Jennifer? Uh, Jenny's fine. It's on all the socials in my business card. Zoom decided to formalize it. <laughs> I go by Jen because I, yeah. I can't stand Jennifer because, you know, you've got the name. If you grew up with this name, you know, you're always running into other Jennifers mm-hmm. everywhere you go. Yep. And like, I just, I, <laughs> it never felt like a name that fit me. So I just go by Jen and that's I- I started going by Jenny in middle school because it pissed off my dad (laughs) um, because he named me Jennifer and it was serious and did not want me to go by Jenny. So I started it out of spite and it just stuck and it became an affectionate name. And then I started using it professionally as well. So it's, I like it better than Jennifer as well. And Jen, um, usually people call me that like, in a hurry yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but i had on jenny in fourth grade and i was like Meh, didn't fit me <laughs> so. yeah different but you know it's funny like my husband is andrew yeah. and he's a drew he's not an andy right gotcha. and yeah you have it, there are those people you're a jen or a jenny you're a drew or an andy like you're not both right so right. some of the names are like that yeah it's it's interesting with names <laughs> yeah. but i know a lot of adoptees they have like mixed feelings about their names I kind of do too but that's just one of those weird situations (laughs) that comes with being an adoptee so you're a first mom yes and um do you want to tell me your story sure uh so I started out pregnant um when I was 19 um and did not have a very great family support system, um, kind of um, sort of rocky with my dad who was going through it with uh, my stepmother and also a work injury and dealing with, you know, trying not to be a full-fledged addict with the pain medication. And it was hard and fell into with a guy who 
was bad and you know that whole thing so but I was very young when I got with him I was still in high school and um you know it was really good for a while and he had demons of his own to be sure you know uh anyway we um had had a miscarriage and we weren't you know necessarily thinking of not parenting it was just not the right time or whatever and then we uh became pregnant again maybe a year or so later and you know we were just really struggling young couple like average you know uh trying to find decent jobs that paid and um you know we were in Colorado and had called I'm old enough that they had phone books in the yellow pages and we called in the yellow pages uh, on a pay phone um, to try to be sort of anonymous. Um, one of the, the ads that they have in the phone book for like, are you in trouble and pregnant? Do you need help? And here are your options. So we called and, you know, it was really sort of humiliating because people already are judging us because we're not married and is he actually going to and you know like we were young and not really sure our families were not giving any kind of guidance or anything like that so we were just not sure and looking for some different like I don't know options to help us and so we called and the people were so nice to us very different than what we were her previously experiencing about, you know, this is what you get kind of language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, you should have thought about that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. these people were so nice to us and they were like, listen, like you have lots of options and we can totally help you. And they were like, we will bring you to like our main office um, from where you are. Like, it sounded like there was like a satellite office there or something, but there wasn't. It's just, sort of the conversation, the way that they made it sound. And I was young. I couldn't yeah. tell. So they were like, we're in Utah and we oh, no. will bring you here and you can talk with us and we'll talk about your options and, you know, go from there. And we'll be happy what, to. I'm sorry. What year was, were you pregnant for reference? Uh, so I was pregnant in 2001. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so we were like, okay, so, I mean, they're going to, here's my cat. <laughs> um, we, they're going to pay for us to travel to Utah and they're going to pay for us for a hotel for a few days so that we can go talk to them about like what our options are and not really having any idea that we're, we, we've called an adoption agency. Right. Like, you know, like we thought that we were calling like I don't know, like a social service or something, or maybe it was like, I don't know, like a charity of some sort that like, here's how to sign up for welfare. Not that it's like a bait and switch. It was very much a bait and switch. And so by the time we get there and we're like, okay, so this is an agency, but they're so nice to you. And they're like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, obligation, this and that. And, you know, um, we, were very entranced by the fact that they didn't know us and they were willing to put us up and in a hotel and talk to us about how wonderful we were 
you know, and we were already, they could tell we were good parents and that we wanted the best for our baby. <laughs> right. Like they could tell that about us. Oh, and they were very good about that. Now here's the ironic thing is they couldn't tell that he was abusive to me and they didn't pick up on the red flags of me never being allowed to be alone with them and other things. And so they could tell that we would be good parents, but they couldn't pick up on obvious red flags as licensed clinical social workers. So anyway, so, but, you know, we were feeling, I, I was feeling um, very humiliated by the experience. And now I'm in this whole new state and I don't know anybody. And these people are willing to help us and discuss our options. And they didn't even make me feel like I was going down an adoption path at first, you know, I was just considering things, but the, I do recall like them referring to me in terms of birth mother. I had never heard that term before. Wait, so, wait. So you guys hadn't even decided on anything. You hadn't signed any papers and they were already using the term birth mother. Yeah. And it wasn't like I am a birth mother, but they're talking about our birth mothers. And this is the birth mother that we deal with. And this is what it is. And this is how it works. And so this is what I, you know, can be. And it was in reference to like, while I'm still pregnant, if I want to do this, then I will be, you're not a birth mother upon signing, you're a birth mother upon deciding to go to the agency and talk to them. That's how it's wow. right. And so you know, I was very unsure about everything. I remember like they didn't want us to work um, because they wanted to like control, you know, what we spent. And they were like, it's okay because we'll help you with food and you can live in our housing. The owner of the agency owned like, um, uh, like a condo unit with like four apartments in it. And so he owned it and he was charging rent on that as part of, we found all that out, I'll tell you later. But anyway, like you go to the agency at first and you're like feeling very humiliated and you're vulnerable, you're isolated from uh, by hundreds of miles uh, to anyone that you know and everybody that you have encountered really anyway is kind of kicking on while you're down because mm -hmm. you're grown at 19 and you mm -hmm. should have known better and all these stupid things. And so mm -hmm. anyway, I remember just sitting there and looking at them and I come from kind of a well-to-do family. Like my grandfather was a lawyer. My grandmother was a teacher. Like we weren't rich, but we were comfortable. And, you know, like I'm looking at all of these people and, you know, they have, gold earrings and watches and expensive necklaces their hair is beautifully done and they have beautiful cars in the park but clearly these are successful people and clearly I'm a screw up and I should do it these successful people who are so nice to me I I really should probably take their advice because oh, cool. clearly they know what to do and I don't. Right. And so that is sort of like how it kind of got me and they were willing to put us up. Like I didn't understand how it worked at first that the adoptive family were going to be billed for the apartment that the guy owned. 
I didn't understand how that worked. And so I thought that they were just nice enough to let us stay there. And it seemed reasonable to me. Also, I was in an abusive relationship where my boyfriend was controlling every dime that I had. And it seemed reasonable to me that the agency also wanted to control our finances so that they understood what we were spending so that we weren't buying drugs and stuff. Not that we did drugs, but just to make sure, you know, so and in Feel question, free to say the name of the agency. I don't care. Okay. So, and I'll tell you, but you're going to have to Google it because they were shut down for fraudulent adoptions and felony tax evasion and the owner went to prison. So it was the adoption center of choice in Orem, O-R-E-M, Utah. And they also had an office in American Fork. And so James Webb, W-E-B-B was the owner. I'm spelling that out for any listeners that want to go Google happy. He's a really gross POS and deserves every day in prison that he got. I um, called him a baby broker to his face. And that was many years ago, but you know, so it was a very interesting ordeal and I was very resistant to do it. They were very irritated with me because I was not sure if what I wanted to do and they were pressuring me to pick families. Um, We had picked one family who became very upset at the thought that we wanted like regular phone calls and things like that. And they felt very threatened. And under that pressure, they admitted that they wanted a closed adoption after all, which in hindsight was kind of nice because it's like, well, at least they openly admitted that and they could come to that instead of like doing it later down the road to somebody, you know, like. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, um, and then, and so they sit you down with these books, okay, of families, and you don't have any information. You're like, here are these two pretty people, and here's their ski trip, and here's the Halloween party, and here's their wedding, and here's when they were the at somebody else's wedding, and here's a family reunion, and here's, like, their fancy house. Here is, like, the Hutter balloon ride or the carnival game or the whatever, the stupid, like, whatever meaningless pics that people put on Facebook. It doesn't tell you anything about them other than they had a good time at that right. moment in history. Yep. And they tell you, well, I hope to put my kid in soccer and or we're musical. So we hope to pursue musical interests or we're faith based or we're not faith based or we're gay or we're not gay, you know, like whatever. And it's all like, you know, surface level. And you, you would tell like a kid kind of like, oh, if your parents could be the dream job, da, 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 you know, when you're playing Barbies, what does your Barbie do? You know, what does Ken do? So it's really, and you don't know like how to advocate for your rights. You don't know what your rights are. So you don't know how to speak up. You don't know how to be like, well, what do they do for a living? Well, we can't really tell you because you know, but they, well, he's a doctor. Okay. Well, where, what kind of doctor? And well, do they drink and do they, how do they fight? And, you know, do they, has there ever been an affair? What's their discipline method? What is all these things? Like, they don't tell you to ask these things. They're like, oh no, look at their ski trip. Look how big their family is. They want to take your kid to Disney World. Um, So nothing important matters. It's all this like dreamy, starry-eyed Lisa Frank world or something. Yep. So... 
we picked this couple based on their pictures, literally. And like, he was a doctor and she was a pediatrician. So I was like, great. So if the baby's choking, they're going to know what to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or they can stitch them up in a second. Right. Great. And like, they know, right. Cool. And that was it. You and were 19. Like, what do you know? at 19? What do I know? And that's something that like, I think people should understand about the scenario that you find yourself in as a young adult, like you cannot advocate for your rights when you don't know what they are and nobody's telling you and you're only presented with these options. You and you're scared and you are confronted in the real world with your own ignorance. Yeah. And suddenly exactly. you feel small and you recognize what you don't know. You don't think outside the box and these people are nice to you. And Those look how agencies know that and they take advantage of, of it. Of course they do. And they're so nice to you. Look so what they ugly. do for you. Like you need to be a good girl and listen to them. Yeah. Right. So I was a good girl because clearly I had screwed up. So that was that. So it was like, okay, cool. Clearly. And it's okay, but I'm not the best. Right. Mm -hmm. And the low key shaming that happens of the welfare, like, you don't want to do that. Do you, you don't, you don't really want to be that. Do you? Mm -hmm. And it's really gross. Like, you know, because somebody needs help that makes them somebody right. Yeah. yeah. Undesirable. You don't really want to do that. Your, your baby deserves better than that, you know? And look, look how, how, like, it's really selfless that you care so much. And, and they tell you these things. So I distinctly recall being told my child will thank me. <laughs> like, I distinctly recall that. And I confronted the social worker about that many years later. And she was like, we didn't say that. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I could tell you the lady in the office who said it to me. Oh. And, and like what time of day it was like, because I was upset about like the, the, the trigger was watching an adoptive mother holding her, uh, she was white and her infant was black. And so I was watching this and sort of like the, a reality was hitting me about what was happening. I sort of, it didn't marry in my head yet that I was at an adoption agency and that this was actually like going to probably happen and they were like no 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 but this is so wonderful and your baby's gonna thank you you know because of the fact that you thought about them before yourself they don't tell you your baby would not choose this uh, right yeah. your baby would not choose this they don't want you to they don't you don't you've never had a child you don't know how to bond and by that time by the time that I had you know, decided, okay, well, we'll go with the family of doctors. Um, I was a birth mother. And that they was don't, my... They don't, like, okay, one of the principles of social work is, you know, in ethics is about informed consent. And one of the things that really makes me angry is that adoption agencies, you know, they're staffed by social workers. They're supposed to give informed consent, but they do not inform these young women about everything and that that really aggravates me so much and i want to point out also that while this agency was closed down for fraudulent adoptions 
this is industry-wide practice yeah. that goes on with this bait and switch and this coercion and the language that they use it's really important. I have an episode up with um, an adoptee. He's working on a documentary right now called All You Have Is Love. Yeah, I'm familiar the with it. purpose of it is to expose these practices. And you know, it's, it's, I have it's, to say that part of coming out of the fog and realizing what had happened, mm -hmm. part, of a, part of the humiliation of it was when something bad happens to you in life, let's say you get mugged, right? It's weird, but you kind of think that there was something about you that was special, that they picked you out, that they targeted you for a reason for yeah. something, right? And I don't know, there was something unique about you. And when I was coming into the realization of the industry and what it was and realizing that actually I wasn't special at all, I was one of millions. I was just the next in line. You were I just, was just the, I was just the, like, right? Like, I was just, I was just another one. incubator for them. And, I, and I was like, product. it was, it was really, it was really mind blowing for me. Um, yeah. Well, it's the same for us adoptees because, you know, while we're growing up, I'm a baby scoop adoptee. While we're growing up, you know, we're told that we're special and lucky. But then when you realize you're like, wait, no, I was just the next available baby. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I wasn't yeah. that that's all. That's it. There's nothing else to it. And the entire thing is a crapshoot, you know, literally. I mean, I could have ended up with any other family in the Pittsburgh area that was working with the doctor who was handling my adoption. He had a reputation for helping girls in trouble. It was right. an adoption. But I mean, right. I could have ended up with any other family and, and that's the reality of it. And that's something that we talk about in um, a birth mother support group that I'm in when um, expectant mothers write in um, looking for advice uh, and they refer to themselves as birth mothers. And I'm astounded by that. And I'm like, listen, like they'll go find another baby. Like you need to keep your baby. They'll find another one, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. You're just another one and um, they wouldn't be talking to you if you weren't pregnant. And that's something that was another sort of rude awakening to me. You know, like you think that you're special. You think that you're in some weird fateful bond with this couple. Like it's this romantic thing that they tell you and you're young and you're not far out from Disney princesses, right? Uh, yep, very important. And I grew up like the Little right. Mermaid was made for me, right? Like I was like waiting for my Prince Eric and happily ever after and coming to the realization that that actually probably wasn't going to happen. But yeah. I wasn't far removed. I was only a few years away from that. Yeah. And here I am. It's like, so now I'm fatefully tied with this beautiful, perfect couple who is so much better than me because they have the money and they have the house and they have a big family and they can take the vacations and they can pay for the private school and she can have all the things. Yep. The material. So they're, crap. they're clearly better. So why would you not? Why would you not then like, you know, yes. it, it, all the tumblers fell clearly into the lock. It just, it was, it, it, it just, made so much sense to somebody who will never be given any understanding about biology and 
what's happening to your body hormonally and that the fact that your baby already knows you, um, what it means to have consent and the fact that the child would not choose this, you know, like they're never going to tell you any of those. They're not going to tell you that you're going to grieve forever. They're not going to tell you that all of the happy moments that you have in the future will have like the cloud that hangs over it and casting the shadow. They won't tell you that. The ghost kingdom. They won't tell you that um, you have no recourse. And if those people close the adoption, you're screwed and nobody cares. Right. They're not going to tell you the cruel things that people will say to you up the road either. They only turn you into a hero for making the dreams come true for somebody else. Yeah. And we were sickened by them. Like we had left the agency at one point, but um, then we found out that they were contracted to the agency anyway, like, and they were going to be charged anyway. And so like, you know, like we were kind of responsible for that. Right. Because like, they're yeah, like waiting on us. Right. So we had this big, like, like fit because they continued to push me to want to be on Medicaid. And I was like, well, I thought that the adoptive family pays for medical bills, right? Like, isn't that what happens? Like they pay, I thought that that's, I thought that's what happened. What do I know? Mm -hmm. I'm not an adoption professional. All right. So they're like, no, no, like you, we do, but you know, if you are on Medicaid, then that will cover your medical expenses. And we're like, well, we're not a resident of Utah and, and I'm not going to apply. And well, you need to apply and you are a resident and the law covers you. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid that, and I'm 19. What do I know? Yeah. I don't, I've never been in trouble in my life, in my yeah. life. I, don't want to get in trouble for Medicaid fraud because you guys want to facilitate an adoption. So, like, no. Yeah. So they took me to a meeting in Salt Lake city with like representatives on the board of the Medicaid, like department, like the oversight office. And they used very carefully worded language about how I was an indefinite resident and how Medicaid had provisions to cover transient people, you know, who traveled through the state and that we should fall under certain guidelines. And the board agreed we should fall under those guidelines. So absolutely, we could be covered by Medicaid. During that fight and threatening to leave and the attempt of the appearance of trying to be open and honest with us to get us to stay. Mm -hmm. They then explained to us like how their billing went. And I then found out that they were going to be billed a flat fee for medical expenses in case there were things that Medicaid didn't cover. Oh, that's so I found out, I thought, and this was 23 years ago, I yeah. found out that they were being charged $2,400 a month for a little shitty two bedroom apartment in a condo complex that the man already owned. This was 23 years ago. Okay. Wow. Like, I don't know anywhere 23 years ago that the month was 20, the rent was $2,400 no. a month in Utah, no less. I found out that the adoption as a whole was going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $60,000. And it was the office manager who sat down to have this open dialogue with us. And her explanation was that she was trying to be open and transparent. But I understand looking back now, it is to make me feel like I'm on the hook for 
taking $60,000 out of these people's pocket by promising my baby and then not delivering. Yep. It's so what am I supposed to do? So this right. poor couple, this poor couple who Aww. can't have their own baby, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? They really back you into a corner and make you feel like you're back into a corner. And... You know, during this time, I was very sick. I was throwing up a lot during my pregnancy. I was, the hormones that are happening, like I'm very tired. Like there were conversations I recall being in the middle of the conversation and I couldn't even remember what the person just said to me, just, just said. Yeah. And I was like staring like blink, blink, you know, like, because, and that's, that happens, that foggy brain that happens in pregnancy that, you know, all the moms get told about who are going to keep their babies, who know all these cool things about how their babies are bonding to them when you're keeping your baby. It's all over the internet and, and all of that. But this was also before the internet. So, yeah. you know. And that's a lot for you to be going through. I'm sure you were disassociating a little bit here and there just because of overwhelm you know so there was also the religious element because they were all mormons oh. and it was like uh, god meant for this to happen you know god ordained this situation the fact that you are carrying her child is such a blessing um it's just it there's so many sickening things to it it was so textbook stereotype you know um it was gross. And, you know, a lot of people, I could tell people like, you don't really realize what happens when like the general public doesn't realize what happens when you go to these adoption agencies. It's kind of like the Freemasons, like what happens behind closed doors, yeah. like doesn't really come out. Yeah. And I really wish they could, like somebody would do like undercover work, you know, like secret camera in the button or something while they're pregnant. And and exposing some of it, it's just disgusting. Um, the more first moms are telling their stories, like you're doing right now, helps to spread that information. You yeah. know, yeah. And that's another thing with that documentary that it's Lisa Lane Scott's working on. She's talking to people that were adoption professionals to talk about the tactics and stuff. So that's hopefully I can't wait till that project comes out because I'm gonna hope it's it's gonna be eye opening to a lot of people. I'm excited for it to come out as well, because like people just don't understand, you know, and people think, well, you chose this. And it's like, did I, did I <laughs> like, you know, like you wouldn't say that to somebody who like lost $400,000 because they invested with Bernie Madoff. Right. Right. Like, exactly. well, you should have known you should have looked him up. Right. And it's like, um, this man's running this amazing firm and you know, you don't know that's why you give your money to the professional, you know, you're not ones, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't exactly. say that to them, you know, or to get more morbid with it. Like you wouldn't say that to the woman who wore the wrong thing to the party and accepted a drink from the really nice guy and realized the next day that maybe she made a mistake you know you, did she really ask for it did she mm. really choose that did she really right. you know like right. it's not it's not it's like it's like surviving a car crash and yes I got in the car yes I drove yeah right but I didn't mean for the careening bus to come smashing into exactly. me either exactly. yeah yeah and so you don't, you don't get any, 
space to grieve and they don't like I remember like the social worker talking to me about like loss and she's like well she'll always be your baby but she's never going to be your little girl she's never going to be like your teenager she's never going to be your adult but she'll always be your baby and just like helping me to like disassociate right and just thinking about it in those terms that like that's all she is for you, you know, and it's just really disgusting. Like, why would you do that to a mother whose baby is growing inside of her, expecting to meet her, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not selfish that the mother wants her child. That's that biology, you right. know, so it's really gross. And so, and we were praised for our decision of to want the adoptive family in the room for the birth um and and weirdly enough they were the only ones with any respect for me at all really Um, the doctor's name I'll never forget it and if this gets back to him like he can just stick it um (laughs) his name was Dr. Baxter and I called him Dr. Bastard because (laughs) he was so mean and he was such a jerk and he like literally was rolling his eyes at me and you know mad because I wouldn't let him induce my labor early and he had to deliver at night and I I needed to be on schedule and um it was gross and um they wouldn't let me have anything to drink in the hospital and I was throwing up and like the adoptive mom was there and she was like helping like dry up my face a little bit and like I was choking on throwing up and the adoptive father was giving me sips of water to sort of clear it but then I would throw that and he would catch it because he's an ER like he's a doctor right Right, so it doesn't bother these people so and they were the only ones who were nice to me everybody else was terrible and the and the adoptive dad was reading the monitor and he was like here cut my my epidural wore off and they wouldn't give me another one so he was like the next one's coming, the next one's coming. And, you know, and they were the only ones that were actually nice to me, you know, and what through that I'm glad. And, and, you know, I mean, it was what it was with the adoption and the hopeful anticipation, but they were also medical professionals. And I did appreciate that. And they were reassuring to me that the hospital were taking care of the baby the way that they should be, because I did not trust them. Yeah. And I didn't like them at all. And they, they were just mean to me. Um, they wouldn't let me take anything home from her. Um, I had to sneak a blanket and a little diaper, um, for a memento. And that was that they wouldn't let me like, there was nothing. Um, and then I went directly from the hospital, um, to the agency. They just drove me from one to the other because I wasn't, legally allowed to sign, I think, in the hospital. So they just drove me down the street. Yeah, I did. That's good. So, yeah. But, you know, it's like they were there and it's like I have this, like, this searing image in my head of, you know, them being given to her, her being given to them. Yeah. You know, and and that was that. And then that was that. And um, we went to the agency and I don't, like, I... I don't, re- I remember signing, but I don't, like, I remember being there and we were very angry and yelling because everybody was so 
flippant about the whole thing. Like, okay, now it's time for signing. We're like, wait a minute. Like, like we didn't realize what having a baby did to you, you know? And I had had a lot of the, like, I was cognizant in the hospital while giving birth, you know, and the, so the hormones, the oxytocin flood and all of that hit me pretty strong. Yeah. And then I was given a lot of pain medication after that because I had a third degree episiotomy. So, yeah. And that happened without my consent or knowledge. I didn't even know it happened until he was sewing me up. So, um, so I was still like, I don't recall much and we weren't given any papers. It was just, I was going to ask you, I always ask first moms, were you given a copy of the stuff you signed? No. So you're supposed to be like any contract you sign, you're supposed to get a copy of it. And they know that you don't know how to advocate for your rights either. We didn't know how to negotiate any sort of post contact agreement. Not that that mattered, not that it's legally enforceable anyway. Right. And we certainly would never have been told that it wasn't, but it was like, okay, well, I guess we'll get some pictures, right? Like pictures. Well, if you could send us some pictures and then it'll be open, right? Like 23 years ago, that's what was open is you got right. some pictures and not for nothing, but like, I knew that they were like sort of the discard photos. Like, so this is also back in the 35 millimeter days where you got 24 pictures to a roll. Yeah. And you might keep five of the ones that were good. And then you've got a pile that you can, whatever. And though you could tell that those were the ones that I got, you know, the ones where guys are half closed, smiling in pictures, right? Because she blinked or something. And so I wasn't like, no, no portraits or anything, right? And, and that was that. And so, and then I was sent on my merry way, like nothing. And that's a, I don't think that people understand either is that like, they take a woman who is in this situation where she doesn't know what to do and she's facing like, what feels like a crisis. It's like, you feel like you're drowning and you're like, okay, I'm going to throw my baby up on the life raft and you're going to catch my baby and I'm going to drown now, but at least my baby's going to live. And, and then that's it. And then you go drown. I'd like to ask <laughs> that's you, it. if, if you're feel okay about disclosing this and I know it's kind of vulnerable, but the aftermath after relinquishing what was that like for you? Like how, how were you immediately? So after? it was pretty bad. So like you get like assistance to help you get like an apartment afterwards. And we had got a van, an 87 Volkswagen Vanagon. And, um, we lived in it for the next year and a half. Like I could not even go back to society. I could not even go get a job. I didn't have any like marketable skills at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was basically going to be working like entry level, you know, food and beverage or something like working in the public cashier somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I cannot take somebody's happy meal order wondering if that's my kid standing in front of me or staring at this happy family, knowing it could have been me if I wasn't such a screw up mm -hmm. and that I asked for this and 
that my baby was so much better off and happier without me because I sucked. Um, and I was, and my abusive ex who was so wonderful decided that he was having a harder time with it than I was. And so he checked out emotionally and I was left comforting him um, to do basic things like work and function and, you know, like help get money so we can eat, you know? And so like, you know, I did things like make hemp jewelry with beads and sell them to, you know, hippies and, you know, kids around. And we traveled around the country and we lived in national forests because it was free and we didn't have to pay for it. And so you didn't really get I to did. take care of yourself because you had to take care of him. Yeah. I didn't wow. ever follow back up with like the postpartum appointment because we were not there in Utah and we were living in our van. I, wow. I think six weeks later, we were somewhere traveling around California, like trying to figure out, like, I don't know, like spending the night on the, on the beach in the van in the freezing cold. So she was born December the 26th. I went into labor on Christmas. So that Christmases have sucked for a really long time. I can imagine. <clears throat> and, um, so when we left the agency and we're traveling around, like it was freezing out. So there was a lot of really cold nights. Um, and there was, you know, he was not going to go get a job or anything. And yeah. I was so traumatized, like I'm not going to make him, you know, mm -hmm. it was just, mm -hmm. and we suffered through the loss of that together miserably and toxically for, you know, quite a while until he became sick with pneumonia about a year and a half later and we had to stop traveling and we went to see a doctor in Montana and he was diagnosed with pneumonia and they're like, he, you're going to die if you keep traveling. Like you have to stay put and get a job and take antibiotics and all the things you got to do. Yeah. And so I got a job and um, as a telemarketer. And which was like the perfect job because everything's on the phone and I'm in a room full of people with a headset on and I can just zone right out. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I did really well. I made a lot of sales. Hi, if I called you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and did that for a little while. Um, he was very abusive and I was able to get away from him not too long after that. Um, it was messy, but whatever. Um, and I tried to go back home to my family who was in Oklahoma and, you know, that didn't really work out either. They've got a lot of issues and they're not understanding at all about what I had gone through um, and not empathetic at all either. And I couldn't figure that out. Just this past summer, I found out that my aunt was sent away to one of those unwed mother homes back in the 60s. And our cousin found us by 23andMe. Holy so a God. lot makes sense now about the way that I was regarded by my own family as like, wow. whatever, like you got yourself in it because the same thing happened to my aunt. They didn't. That's what you did. You got yourself into it. You know, that, that that's wow. what you get and this is what you do. And that's what it was. So 
Yeah. So a lot made sense later on, you wow. know, but at the That's time crazy. I certainly, mm. you just learned that. Yeah. Just this past summer. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. So did you are like, is she still around? Do you guys talk? Oh yeah. We talk quite a bit. I'm fully out of the fog. I've been out of the fog for eight years when I started researching after I had my next child. So I waited 15 years to have additional children. And when I had the next one, everything hit me and I did research and, and I can get into that. But anyway, um, when my cousin found me, I was fully versed in so many adoptee experiences, you know? So I was able to tell her she was really afraid at first about rejection. And I was like, you know, why did my mother choose this? And I'm like, well, she didn't get a choice. Here's a couple books you need to read about the baby (laughs) scoop era, you know? Good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And um, being able to, you know, welcome her. She's a lovely person. So it's easy to welcome her and um, to love on her. So um, and we have a great friendship and we're excited to meet. She met another cousin. She's not yet met her mother, um, but um, we're hoping that that will happen. And in the meantime, you know, we are super happy that she's with us and, and able to, you know, help her work through some of what it's like on her reunion journey. So, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. They say like one in three people is touched by adoption. And it's like, you think about that and it's like, yeah, I can kind of see that, you know, Mm -hmm. and it explains why a lot of adoptees get so much blowback of like, oh, I know my cousin's adopted and they're just fine. And it's like, I've heard that so many times. Oh God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like are you sure but like have you actually given them the space to be honest so that you know like yeah and it's like oh their parents are lovely and it's like but well, that doesn't mean anything maybe they are and 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 I hope so like people ask me yeah. about that about you know the family that I chose who we are on the outs who have said probably the cruelest thing to me ever but it doesn't matter what we think of each other. It does matter to me that my daughter has a good relationship with them. I do want that, you yeah, know, of course. Cause the opposite would mean trauma and terrible. I don't want that. You know, I, so I do want that. It's such a weird and complicated thing it is. and people don't understand and people are really horrible and spiteful about when they learn about it. So like I when after I realized it wasn't like working out with my family and stuff in Oklahoma and I lived with a roommate for a year and I started dating online and I moved up to um Connecticut just outside of New York City and I was dating a guy who was like trust fund baby kind of like super wealthy. We are no longer together. We did not speak the same language in life. Uh, Nice guy. I don't have anything bad to say about him, but we are not on the same page in life. So anyway, I had gotten a job in an electrical contractor's office and I mistakenly trusted the um, other office admin um, thinking that, you know, Cause I'm Oklahoma and I'm nice. And if I'm nice to you, then you're going to be nice to me. Right. <laughs> this is just outside of New York and people don't operate like that. And so I made the mistake of telling her my story. And then several months later, um, they got caught up in an audit because they were scamming the health insurance premiums from the employees. 
And I turned them into the attorney general when they asked me to lie to the employees on behalf of the company. So I turned them in and they were audited and all of that. So to get back at me for that, she told everybody in the office that I sold my baby on eBay. Yes. That's shitty. At and one of the guys, one of the electricians I was dating, this was after Trust Fund Baby, I was dating him and he was like, hey, so she said this and what's up with that anyway? Like, I know you didn't do that, but like, why would she say that? And I'm like, wow, like, okay, so I won't be telling anybody else this yeah. about me. Yeah, that definitely makes you feel unsafe to share. Yeah. And another lady I tried to talk to about it. And what, again, like the beautiful people with the perfect hair, Connecticut's full of them, you know, <laughs> the, the big earrings and the, the name brand purses and all the things making you look like a walking billboard. So, you know, that they have money and, you know, she was a friend of my ex, the trust fund guy. And, um, she was like, you know, what's your story? And, you know, how did you wind up here in Connecticut and this and that? And I was telling her a little bit about, you know, well, I was with this horrible guy and, you know, we lost our kid and trying to figure things out. I gotten away from him and now I'm here and just working out the new path forward, so to speak, right. In a, in a healthier environment, mm -hmm. got a real job. And she literally looks at me and she was like, okay, so that's not what you're going to tell people. What you're going to tell people is that you moved up here for better opportunities and that your family couldn't pay for college and that's okay. And now you're working for a company who will help you finish your degree. And that's why you moved up here. I will never. And I was like, okay. And again, like here I am like young, I think I was like 23 or 24 and I'm like young. And here's this woman who has this house that's like, seven hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars right and they have these big cars in the driveway and this big beautiful manicured lawn and uh, like you know when you don't know anything in the world and you're trying to figure things out you listen to these beautiful people who are nice to you and they took go this and do this so you do so i did what she said and i went firmly in the closet and I have been there ever since until like this year and trying to get more comfortable with coming out because, you know, what happens is terrible and people should know. Yeah. And, yeah. That's basically like what happened to all the baby scoop moms, you know, like you're going to go on with your life. You're going to pretend this never happened. Don't tell your husband, you know, and like yep. that, that like had a really bad effect you know like that's basically here compartmentalize your entire story yep just put it away in a box right you know and and you can't you can't do that that's such a major thing yeah. i mean you don't tell someone whose baby died to do that no and it's no and there's blood. no grief for that though either because like oh. Through the years, like as you meet people who okay, you're like, okay, well, you're trustworthy. You're a little safe. I can talk to you about what I've been through. And then they're like, well, but you did the right thing, Jen. Uh -huh. You know, you, you did the best thing. And, you know, good for you for choosing life. Like I had a choice. Like, and, and again, like I, and I was shocked and I'll admit I was shocked to learn how many adoptees 
do not appreciate that sentiment <laughs> at all. And some adoptees who would have rather have been aborted, I read their comments online. And I was shocked to learn that. I had never considered that before. And neither do the people who make those comments. Nope. It's not anything that they had considered before. So how is it the best thing? Well, it's this society has been flooded with so much adoption propaganda mm -hmm. that general society is biased to believe that adoption is inherently good. It solves everybody's problem. They can't have a baby baby needs a home because these couple is young or whatever their situation is and can't take care of it right now. And there's that trifecta goes around and every, everything's okay. Nobody's thinking about the effect it has on the baby, the effect it has on the mother. Like they're only thinking about the effect it has on the adoptive parents and their struggles with infertility. And like, and it's just like, it's so slanted. I, I did a Facebook post on my own personal page today. And it's really funny because when I post about adoption stuff on my personal Facebook page, it's like crickets from everybody except the people that have anything to do with adoption. Same. And it's amazing because they just don't get it. So today I said, because there's that bias about adoption to see it as positive, let's substitute that with kidnapping, which is way more sinister and like, maybe then you can empathize with what it's like for the adoptee, you know? And, um, cause it's, it's not. Yeah. Online so is such a weird place too. Like, because when you sit down and you talk one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with people and they see you, like they can't objectify you, then they actually have to look in your eyes and they have yeah. to see like the emotion behind the words that are coming out of your mouth. Yeah. And it has such a different impact. And so, you know, when we went two weeks ago, we went to the fog lift in New York City event. And that was really awesome. And I took with me uh, two of the women on the our board of directors. They are both single moms, but they have not had anything to do with adoption. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, believed all of the narratives. Mm -hmm. And the exposure to that event... Uh, Autumn's documentary. Yes. Um, Liz DeBeta's play. Mm -hmm. um, listening to all of the adoptees. And they're so many different stories. And they're just so different. You know, everyone is just so unique. Um, completely changed their worldview. Yeah. And rocked their world. And for me, it was it was surreal. I had never been in a space before with that many people where it was like we all have the same sort of opinion about things and we're all related in this way, you know, and, um, and feeling safe. Nobody there wanted to beat me up, you know, like no. everybody was super excited to connect and, um, and it was very emotional. It was very, it was like high and buzzing, you know, the whole time. Yes. And I, um, yeah, I went to the summit last year, the untangling mm -hmm. our roots summit. That was mm -hmm. the first time in all these years that I've been involved online and adoption stuff that I actually went to an in-person conference and it was like, I was like riding this wave, man, when I came yeah. home, it was amazing. Just yeah, like getting to meet all these people that I've known online for years and yeah. 
on top of that, just like being in the same space with everyone. And it's amazing. It's like you said, like, are you going to go to the summit this year? Right, right. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to. I'm trying to line things up because there's other things that we do want to go to that are coming up that we're being made aware of and yeah. we're on a limited budget. So yeah. we have to pick and choose and, but, um, but I, we do want to go to as much as we can for the opportunity to network, especially, you yeah. know, um, that's really important to us and having an audience of people who are very happy about what we're doing and to support us is really also awesome yeah. and um and it's genuine support and so that gives its whole other like buzz that you have you know it's not just the emotional you get it and it I, I it was almost like going to this weird family reunion where yeah. we don't really know <laughs> each other but we're all kind of weirdly related yeah yeah and um and it's like we don't know each other but we kind of do yeah so I, I want to definitely experience that again. Also, we have a baby Scoopera adoptee on our board, um, the fourth board member. And um, he was not happy that he missed this last one. And he definitely wants to go to the next one. So um, he's in Oklahoma now visiting his birth mother, who was a baby oh, wow. Scoopera. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So you said board of directors. So why don't you tell us about your organization? What led yeah. you to start it and what's it all about? So I will tell you, um, okay, our organization is called Parents Partnership. It's parentspartnership.org. We are a family preservation organization where we want to come in and help vulnerable and single parents um, who are pregnant or with young children to network with each other and share resources to ease some of the struggles that they're going through, mm -hmm. recognizing that a lot of social services are missing the mark. There are wait lists, there are disqualifiers, there's income limits, all these things that are preventing people from getting help. And we live in a culture that does not support struggling parents. Mm -hmm. And there's no legislation that's going to help anything. A lot mm -hmm. of the legislation has created a lot of the problems that we have. And from my own experience being a mom of two small children, I know that I can take a small pile of nothing and get together with another mom and her small pile of nothing. And we can put some magic together and we can make a birthday party out of it. And it's awesome. Parents can make something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing to see how well they'll work together to come together for their children understanding that there will always be needs to care for some children in alternative circumstances, but those are not the norm and the common situation. And wouldn't it be awesome to reduce those numbers even further by just having a network where parents can come together and share their time and their resources. So for example, you log into the website, you create a profile um, similar to a dating profile. This is who you are. You're a smoker or not. This is your religion. This is your family size. This is your area that you live in. And you do a search for other parents in your area and you can match up with them based on different criteria and then go meet up with them for coffee or take your kids to the playground together and get to know each other. Oh, wow. And you 
can see, you know, are you compatible enough? Like you like each other well enough, you're a responsible person, safe, all of that. Maybe we'll meet up again if the kids get along. The idea is what can we do? What can we share with each other to ease the struggle? So if you're working in the morning and I'm working in the evening, we don't need to pay for childcare. I'll watch your kids. You'll watch my kids. Let's go ahead and save three, four, five, six hundred dollars a week. Um, if we really get along and you're paying, you know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars a month for your apartment, and so am I, why don't we split that? And now we've halved our rent and we're now saving several hundred more dollars a month. Depending on where you are, you could be saving thousands of dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Just negotiating your situation with another parent who gets it and there's no applications there's no wait list there's no qualifying anything it's you log in you search for other parents in your area if you decide wherever you're living is just no good you want to move or maybe you get a better job somewhere then you can change your location and look for other parents in the new city there you want to move and start connecting with them as well and you decide what do you need and you know what can you offer and you work directly so there's no anybody going to tell you well you can't do that you know like you figure that out and um we will also uh similarly to like the family preservation project and other uh websites that have like a directory of like resources of local organizations like we mm -hmm. will have that on our website as well mm -hmm. so that people can find things that they need that will meet some urgent needs we'll have slightly different categories than they will on their website so we'll have like some the difference i think between us and them is that they come in to help women more in an immediate crisis situation where we're not dealing necessarily with upfront crisis situations. We're trying to come in when women are still pregnant or maybe soon after they've had the baby and they're looking for some support. We would be looking for, you know, targeting women maybe who are recently divorced or split from their husbands. We would also be dealing with single fathers, um, you know, military spouses, grandparents who are raising their children. There's a large portion of people who are raising kids alone mm -hmm. and struggling and a lot of these people the numbers i think it's 121 million unplanned pregnancies a year and that's a lot of people making decisions about their pregnancies and their families that they wouldn't make otherwise if they had support right so we're not a pro or anti-abortion or adoption or any of that. We're not any of that. But if you're making a decision about your pregnancy or your child that you wouldn't have made if you just had the right support network, then you're our target audience. And we want you to log into our website for free and look for other parents in your area who get what you're going through and you guys can network. And if we can take the crisis out of your situation then that's great. And that's wow. not only a win for you, but for your baby. And we feel very strongly about caring for babies. And we know through our knowledge of coming out of the adoption fog and doing all of the research that we've done on what babies go through in utero, bonding with their mothers, that when babies are born, they want to be with their mothers. Yes, All babies want to be with their biological mother. If the biological mother isn't available, most of those babies want to be with their fathers then, right? Or their family, if that's also not available. Like that is like the order of 
preference if you were to ask the baby and they could answer all babies want to be with their mother yeah absolutely they know their mother and so if we're going to honor the child and we're going to center the child then that means taking care of parents yes and we are all struggling i don't know i don't have very many like uber wealthy friends <laughs> i don't know about you but everybody i know is struggling in one way or another yeah and it's like we're these lonely little boats in the ocean and I can see you way over there, but you're too far away. I can't help you and you can't help me. So we're just struggling against the waves. Yeah. Yeah. But if we can bring all these boats together and we're struggling, the way the waves will still be there. But if we can go through them together, yeah. then the struggle will be less. And so that's the aim. Yeah. And so yeah. and the idea I've talked to a lot of different women about their circumstances um, with their children and their pregnancies. I talked to a woman who um, had an abortion with her um, six and who felt like she had no other options, you know, and it's like no one to support her. And what is she going to do? What else is she going to do? And then that went wrong and she got an infection and had to have a hysterectomy. And so that was terrible. And then in what states where you do? can't have an abortion, you know, there, and you're forced to then do what, you know, yeah. and you're not ready for things and you have no support. So what are you supposed to do? We are helping a mom right now who is uh, 12 weeks pregnant and the boyfriend's father I'm sorry, the boyfriend's mother talked this young woman out of an abortion that won't help her now that she's like, won't help her at all and told her not to come back to their house. So it's really, so here's the messages that we send to young women in our country is that first of all, like the, the mixed messages with your body, your choice mm -hmm. means that you got yourself into this and you alone have to figure out what this is. And the dude who did this to you does not have to answer to this at all. Mm -hmm. And he's off the hook. So this is hurting us. I, I don't mean to split hairs on the abortion debate at all, because no. like, if that's what you want to do, fine. But it, it necessarily takes the, the second party, like you didn't get yourself pregnant, right? Exactly. Like you didn't walk up to some naked man and just get yourself there, right? right. So, you know, so <laughs> we also tell women that like you're too young, unmarried, uneducated, you're nobody's going to want you. You're never going to be able to handle it. It's too hard. All not good these enough. horrible things. Yeah. You're just not good enough. You're not it. You're unfit. Yeah, exactly. So it's cool. So your two options are to terminate or to give your baby away to a better couple. All right. So what are we doing? Like, are we serious? And we've been telling women this since the 50s. You got yourself in this situation. Go away to that home over there and give birth in secret. And then, you know, birth control comes along, but then also abortion. And we've still left women abandoned to that position because no matter your reason, I don't know anybody who looked forward to going to their abortion. Like, right. Like nobody was happy about it. Right. No, it right. might be an answer to a problem, but nobody was happy. And 
these options are not working for far too many. They're right. working for some, but for far too many, they're not. And that's because we live in a culture that doesn't support young parents and young women. No. And when you look at other countries like Australia and what they're doing, it kind of embarrasses you about what we're doing in our country. Or like in Scotland where they have those baby boxes where everybody who has a baby gets a box that's got a crib. Oh, that, yeah. Clothes and, you know, mm-hmm. blankets and diapers and, and just like early essentials to help them a changing pad, like not, not the, not the abandonment baby boxes. Those I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Those are horrible. But right? I'm trying like, they call it a baby no, box like a... and the baby can actually sleep in the box. It's got a mattress if they yeah, do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like to offer support or countries like Norway where they're like, oh, you have a baby, have a whole year off, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. that's real support. Yeah. And, and this country, you know, is so wrapped up in that oh you're pregnant and you can't take care of it we'll just give it to somebody else and it's like no we're not no 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 changeable why is that our legacy though as americans that we don't care to help struggling people i know why i don't go ahead (laughs) argentan yeah she she popularized adoption. She was born with a silver spoon in her mouth and she had yeah. that idea. You know, there was the higher type and the lower type of people. Right. And if you were poor, you couldn't take care of your child properly. Yep. And so she started, you know, with the syndicated ads, like it, it's crazy because I've gone on newspapers.com and you will find the same exact ad for a child in new york in oklahoma in denver in los angeles in washington state like all across the country yeah and she was the first one who did that you know and it stuck like you know and she started that in the 30s right and before that like the florence crittenden home yeah was a mother and baby home where they took the mothers off of the streets and helped them to keep their baby they're like no no you're not walking away you're going to take care of this baby while you work we'll take care of the baby we're going to teach you how to parent we're going to support you and then after georgia tan it transitioned to into that um, yeah, yeah baby factory basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's it's like whoa and i know there were other ones you know like gladney and stuff edna gladney helped i have to do more research on her yet but like it's just crazy how you know it's been what a hundred years georgia tan 1924 was when georgia tan was at took control of the tennessee children's home 1924 it's a hundred years since georgia tan i don't know if she was the director right away but started working there and people don't think anything of it. We have a hundred years of documented trauma and mental health. And for the people who think that we don't have the resources, like we we don't have the resources to not be supporting young families because look at the money that we're spending on, you know, mental health crisis in this country. Look at the money that we're spending on trying to help, you know, young families seek treatment, treatment for their adopted children. And they don't put two and two together that the issues stem from the lost trauma at birth. Yes. Um, Look at the money that we're spending on 
paying foster families to take children who shouldn't probably have been taken out of their homes. Some of them should have, but a lot of them shouldn't. Instead of paying foster parents money to take care of kids, why don't we just give that money to the parents for a few months exactly. and help them? So to say that we don't have the resources or that we shouldn't is crap. And it's just a load of crap. All the money that's being spent on adoptions, $60,000 yeah. for your daughter in 2001. And I yeah. have had people argue with me on TikTok. They're like, it doesn't cost that much. Yes, it's it does. like the range is 10,000 up to like 70,000. That's the range I've seen for adoption. If you go to an agency, you're not going to spend less than $40,000. No. And period. that money, it just a fraction of it can be given to an expectant mom that's struggling to help with like a couple months rent or a car payment and some baby supplies and she's good. And we've got a family. And that's all we, you know, if we would have been empowered to parent and given like appropriate therapy, you know, and let me make no mistake. He was a terrible abusive person. Yeah. But he was abused as a child as well. Okay. And there's a reason like he was why he was, if he had been given support as well, but certainly fathers are completely overlooked in this situation. They literally do not matter at all. <clears throat> but we weren't given any of that. We were not, again, and I tell this to people in our birth mother group that write in, these people wouldn't even be talking to you if you weren't pregnant. If you were in this jam that you're in right now where you're struggling to pay your rent. Yeah. And we all know that's the majority of the reason that these women go to these agencies is because of financial hardships. Yep. And they're only talking to you because you're pregnant. They wouldn't even give you the time of day. They wouldn't give you spare change at a gas station. Yep. Okay. But you have something that they want so badly and they will tell you anything and are counseled to. Yeah. And the, the social workers that were at our agency, like, and I told her this, like I was led to make this decision. Mm -hmm. I was put on this path and counseled and told and affirmed and reaffirmed in what it was that I was doing to the point that they had activities, group activities planned out throughout the week. They would take us to get our hair done. They would take us to, you know, play games or, you know, like bowling or something. They would take us, it was Utah. So we went to Sundance one time, you know, we would go hiking in the mountains. We would do all these group activities and it would just be this group of birth mothers. And you feel like, this wretched teenager that's with this group of wretched moms, you, your band of, of circus freaks, bad kids, you know, uh, what's it in the primal wound? I don't know if you've read that one, but there's a section called stoners and losers. And I was yep. like, that's exactly what you feel like. Yep. The degenerates. And somebody once said something to me outside of Walmart when I was standing waiting on the ride from the lady from the adoption agency um, about being unmarried and pregnant. And, you know, they're all Mormons there. So they're all better than me. And uh, yeah, it was gross. So like you're led, you're counseled. It's, it's like 
it's like comforting the sheep before the slaughter, you know, and you just go right along with it. And, um, you know, and they don't tell you either that when your kid turns 18, that they're not going to thank you and that they actually might be angry with you. Um, they don't appreciate what has happened. A lot of them, they don't tell you that as the mom, they just tell you how wonderful you are and how much your kid will thank you. But they don't tell you that your child will suffer from the loss of their identity. They don't tell you that your child quite possibly will really resent you for doing this, but also won't know how to tell you or even have the guts. So may just not even speak to you. ever. Um, they won't tell you that the adoptive parents who do not work through their infertility issues will poison your child against you and tell them terrible things and set them up for like proving loyalty to them, you know, so that they feel like the really real parents. And to me, it's so always like a weird thing, especially when I read this over and over again in the birth mother group, like how is it that we are a threat to the adoptive parent when we picked them? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, I chose her. I was like, okay, Right. like I suck. You're the best. Here you go. Yeah. Right. I don't know what else to do, but clearly you're better than me. And this is the best I can do. And out of the the lineup of comic books that I got, yours was the best one. It's that it's, you know, I, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so I didn't get pregnant because uh, I just I didn't have cycles and I kind of, I chose to accept it because I started looking into like, what do you do when you're trying to conceive? You know, obviously everybody knows like what you do to conceive, but like, you know, the TT, you know, TTYC.
it's and like, I understand that because like it took us a year to conceive my son and I will also note that none of the doctors that I talked to gave me any helpful advice. They really want to stick you on the infertility train and go that route, which is a whole other thing I've been learning about. And holy moly, there's a lot I didn't know. Anyway, like I understand that like it becomes like your identity and that's what it is. And interestingly, and we obviously, you know, did conceive and I have, you know, my second and that, by the way, was the most horrific experience ever. And I nearly was killed. And that will be the it we will not be having anymore. But anyway, um, you know, I really struggled with my personal faith and all of that. And especially the messages that you get from the church and the promotion of adoption and I've been starting the conversation out with this, that why is it that these women are allowed to covet other people's babies and to idolize motherhood in this way? And this mm -hmm. is okay. Mm -hmm. Why is this okay? Mm -hmm. Now, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to shame that woman, okay, because she got herself pregnant. It's like, it's so weird. It's like Eve eating the apple, but where was Adam when his woman was being deceived by snakes right like they don't want to answer for this for stone right so we're not going to help this woman because she's so shameful by the way if you drown puppies and then you ask for forgiveness that's cool too but that woman over there is a whore and doesn't deserve our support and she can redeem herself by giving her baby to the one who's coveting it so much that yeah. they're willing to pay $50,000 for that child because all she can do is think about motherhood and that's her identity and that's all she can see now instead of how about maybe motherhood isn't for you and that's okay because there's a lot of people out there who make amazing lives for themselves. Is motherhood awesome? Yes, it is. But guess what else is awesome? Rescuing dogs or sticking up for elderly people or veterans or, you know what I mean? Feeding people in South Sudan, right? Like those are also really awesome things that yeah. you can do with your mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. You don't have the right to use human babies so that you can have an experience that you feel entitled to have. Exactly. And so having these conversations with people in my church is a little bit touchy. And some of them are more receptive than others to these concepts. But we have to start challenging them because we're not doing the right thing if we're truly going to be faith-based in this. And we can't continue this narrative that... God meant for this to happen. Right. Exactly. If God doesn't make mistakes, then he didn't put her baby in my body. Exactly. Exactly. That's and, always you know, bothered me when I, yeah. that. I'm like, no, maybe if you can't get pregnant, that's your intent. Like that's, that's the way it is. That's where I listen to this podcast. I just yeah. let it go. I listen to this podcast and the lady goes, you know, you don't have a right to motherhood. Mm -hmm. You don't have a right to not have cancer either. Mm -hmm. You don't have a right to marry Brad Pitt just because you really, really want to. Right. Like you, and it's not a bad thing because you really, really want to either. It's right. not a bad thing, but exactly. you don't get to use another human being to fill the hole. That's not why they were born. Right. And they, they aren't choosing this. 
zero babies want to be taken from their mothers and given to a stranger to fill her hole of infertility. Yep. 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 So that's my favorite, favorite papers that I like to use to uh, advocate against maternal separation has nothing to do with adoption at all. Um, It's called the case for zero or the neuroscience of birth and the case for zero separation. And it's about just the practice the hospitals used to take babies and put them in a nursery. Mm-hmm. And through neuroscience, they have found that, no, that that causes trauma for the baby. And even short separations from mom causes like spikes in cortisol and like and prolonged, you know, separation from mom can predispose the baby to obesity, diabetes, like like a lot of health problems and it's like hmm interesting and this doesn't even have anything yeah. to do with like lifelong separation right no it doesn't so i learned all of this okay so i had no idea about any of this so 15 years goes by since i lose my baby and i'm like you know you tell yourself all the things losing your baby to adoption is like you lost your baby in the woods and you don't know where your baby went yeah. and you don't know if it's alive or if it's dead. And you're telling yourself stories that must be true. They must have a good life. Their parents must love them. These things must be happening because you don't have any clue and you have to survive this that you've just gone through and not go crazy. And so mm-hmm. you live in this weird space for a really long time. And I was terrified to get pregnant again. And I was very diligent about not getting pregnant again um, for a long time until I met my husband. And, um, and then when I met my husband, I was like, yeah, well, we can, we can do this. It's 15 years is a really long time. Um, you know, it's, it's just a whole different generation now and it's, it's cool. So we get pregnant very quickly and I start learning about like what she's going through because now we have the internet and I have an iPhone and I can look things up and there's these apps that tell me what size fruit she is this week and yeah. all these different things. And they're telling me, oh, she can hear you. Yep. She can feel like, you know, the way that you walk and how that's different from like other people. She knows like what side you lay on and what side feels most comfortable. She has a preference, all these things, right? Yeah. She's learning all about her environment by the way that I interact with mine. And um, no, no, no. So, um, and I'm learning all this. And then I go on, my daughter is born and I was not prepared for the flood of emotions that would come with getting to keep this one and nobody was coming to take her and how differently my experience was in the hospital because I was acceptable now because I was married and these nurses you know, didn't think of me and they didn't know my previous screw up. Yeah, And so, you know, I started breastfeeding her and I started learning about the hormones and everything that your body is going through. And it started hitting me. And as I took her home and getting to know her as a newborn and all the little things and the sounds and the, all the little poops and all the things, right. And 
And I started realizing what it was that I actually lost and how badly they lie to these first time mothers, especially you cannot know what it is that you're giving away. You cannot know what you lost. No, you cannot know you have never experienced motherhood. It is the most life altering experience. You can't know until you do it. So you can't possibly understand what it is that you have lost. Yeah. So then about, I think my daughter was around, she was under a year old and I have been a writer for many years and my editor, his wife was working for like a, a think tank or something. And they were working with a legislator on pro-life legislation and they wanted to craft language uh, in it for adoption. And asked me if I wanted to have any input on this project. So I was like, sure, because they knew my story. I was like, yeah, sure, that would be great. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Why don't you like, let me get back to you in, you know, six weeks, four weeks, something like that. I, I want to do some research. I'm clearly not the only birth mother out there. I should maybe meet some and do some research. And that's when I came out of the fog. Mm. So my daughter was under a year. I was still breastfeeding, fully hormonal like really going through it. Um, wow. Yeah. And, um, and the postpartum anxiety had me walloped. Like I did not return back to working outside of the home. Um, I switched jobs with the lady who took my job on maternity leave. She did telemark, uh, sorry, transcription from home. Yeah. Um, so I started doing that from home um, because I, I was, totally unable to leave her. I was yeah. convinced that if I dropped her off at daycare, that I would go back and she wouldn't be there. And my baby wouldn't be there. I'd lose the next one. And the anxiety was so terrible. We lived in a townhouse and I would like gather everything that I needed from upstairs, diapers, blankets, extra change of clothes, anything that I needed. And I would take it all downstairs and I would live downstairs during the day and I would not go upstairs for any reason because I was convinced that I would be carrying my baby and I would fall down the stairs and fall on her and kill her because oh, wow. I'm terrible and unfit. And nobody knows this horrible thing about so what happened with the first one. And it was hard. And it really like, it robs you of a lot of moments that would otherwise be very sweet that you have with your baby. Yeah. You're spent worried and feeling like a failure and feeling like an imposter with your own oh, kid anxiety. Yeah. it was horrible and um and then you come out of the fog and you realize what you lost the first time around it's yeah it was really you know my husband's been really good about helping me through some of the things but he doesn't understand all of it you know because he he can't you know he not can't really. he can so, try but, but it's not easy you know yeah well i just wanted to say i think it's a really outstanding idea and what we should really do to help promote your website because if people don't know about it they're not going to sign up and then you're going to have i to gotta send answers. you the links and stuff yeah but what i was thinking is like anybody who's listening you know you can go to your local facebook community pages like where they have sale pages and just post a link and say, hey, this is for young parents, you know, that may be struggling, that are looking for other parents in the area to team up with and support each other. Yeah. And like, it just takes a seed. 
if everybody who listens does that in their community yeah spreads it around and it's nationwide and i'll tell you where we're at with the build um our development development team is really awesome they've completed the wireframes for our website which is basically the blueprints to the house yeah and they are getting our design protocols uh prototypes sorry i'm not a technical person okay. um i'm not building the website there um and we will know like basically what the website will look like, like where the buttons are and the colors and stuff. And that should come through um, the end of the month. Okay. And we are um, eagerly looking for funding. Like you can donate to us. We are a 501c3 tax, deduct tax deductible organization. Okay. We um, are running a raffle now, but if you don't want to buy a raffle ticket, donate to us. Um, especially if your company has a company match um we are an approved charity we can get that um we're looking for investors we got a grant recently from adoptees connect and um square one to freedom with jeffrey leventhal yeah they were kind enough to give us a grant and we're going to collaborate together on some of the build because you know he's in software um and he's going to be able to um you know work with us a little bit on this and so that's really exciting and just getting the support the next phase is the back-end development and our developers are gracious enough to work with us contracting hours to build things. And so instead of like harping down our neck that they need to be paid for work, you know, we're retaining them in blocks of time. And so we're out of discovery in by next week and on to actually lay in the bricks for the house. Wow. And um, it's really exciting. We have a hopeful launch of summer of 2024. My dream come true would be June of 2024 because this would enable parents to come together and form partnerships and potentially move and roommate with each other in time for the next school year to start so that they could potentially be in better neighborhoods and better schools for their kids, mm -hmm. you know, if they could work those things out. So really the only thing hanging up is just being able to fund that. And so with the grants and um, potential, we have investors and looking for obviously more. Um, and we have some, you know, different things in the wings, you know, to help fund the projects, but we need the support of the community who supports family preservation as well. Yeah. And not just to fund the website, but again, we need the parents to know that it's coming, yeah. you know? And so like, we're going to build this great big stadium, but nobody's going to come if we don't tell them it's there. Right. I'll do what I can to help promote it. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate it, you know, and um, I really feel like we can make huge changes to the culture in our country by doing this, you know, the policy follows our culture. And so our culture goes in certain directions and whether that is ending slavery, whether that is standing up for women's rights, um, what whatever that is, like the policy tends to follow where the culture is headed. And if we can change the narrative and stop kicking people when they're down and stop telling people, well, you should have thought about that. Right. And, understanding like we've all been there and we've all struggled and we can actually do better by each other and helping through our struggles. You know, I think we can make a lot of good changes and, um, you know, limit some trauma for the future. And it's certainly worth the investment. You know, our kids are going to grow up and run things and we want them to be healthy. Well, before we close out, cause it's, we're getting, we've been talking for a while. Um, what was that thing that somebody said to you that was uh, 
That was it about selling my baby on eBay. That was it. That's what drove me into the closet. Yeah. And That, so, okay, that drove you into mm -hmm. the closet. But what drove you to come up with the idea for this organization? I was trying to find my daughter. I, she turned 18 five years ago. And, you know, they don't tell you that, that 18, they're probably not going to be ready, you know, because yeah. um, they're still a kid themselves. And I had been trying to find her parents um, had closed the adoption. And so um, it was just up to me. She wasn't on social media and we looked and looked for years and finally found her one day on LinkedIn. Oh, wow. So I sent her a very short and sweet message, letting her know that I was here. I loved her. I hope she was happy. Um, she has a brother and sister who know about her and would love, you know, to, to know her or whatever, but no obligation to reach out or anything. Just, I hope that you're happy and we love you. And if you want any information, we're certainly open. Uh, a friend of mine who's um, a search angel, um, you may know her, Shelly Johnson. Um, yeah. She was helping me try to find information and she found um, their cell phone numbers. And so she's like, listen, like I, you know, I do this and, you know, I think that potentially we could maybe just call them and talk. And if we can put you guys together and maybe we can facilitate something like you never know what happens when you get somebody on the phone and it would be better Maybe if I called, then if you called, because, you know, it's easier to tell a stranger to piss off than, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if that's the case. So she did try to call them. And then um, this was like a few weeks. A few weeks had gone by when I sent the message on LinkedIn. Nothing had happened. And her mother texted me after Shelly had called um, and said, like, probably the most vicious thing I had ever been said by another human being about how thoughtless and selfish I was to have reached out to her child and how um, devastatingly upset my daughter was that I had the audacity to violate their boundaries. And she threatened me with legal action. She told me that my daughter would never in her entire life want to know anything about me. And uh, that was that. So... I, of course, was devastated. Several days later, she followed back up and she admitted that it was an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. But she said something about, and it was like jumbled, so I'm not sure, but she said something about her daughter, her sister, had not been in touch with her birth family. And so something about the sister not having in touch with hers meant that mine also wasn't. And I, I wasn't clear what she was saying, but it seemed like one was attached to the other. And the trauma of the sister not knowing where she comes from meant, I don't know, it was like, I don't know if she feels like she doesn't want to hurt her sister by being in touch with her birth family, knowing what, you know, her sister was going through. Like, I don't know. Do you mean your daughter has yeah. her sister? Okay. Right. Her adopted sister. Yeah. So anyway, so, so she admitted that, you know, it was an emotional reaction and she said, maybe someday my daughter would change her mind. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, and it's like, okay, so my daughter is 23 and I don't know why she can't tell me that she's older than I was when I lost her. It was really upsetting because I was like, certainly, I don't know what it is that you're telling her, but I mean, certainly the worst thing in the whole world could not be a message of love from your birth family 
if you know that you're adopted, unless you've been told terrible things about, you know, like, and I don't know, I obviously don't know. I, and that's the thing too, is that you spiral and all these what ifs and all these things. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is bullshit. And this is not what I signed up for. The coercion is disgusting. And, you know, every Every mom out of the fog knows it can happen to you, mm -hmm. but you don't think that it's going to happen to you right. until it does. And then you're shut out and that's that. And your child isn't coming back anytime soon. And you've been waiting two decades for this, but nobody ever told you you had no right to expect that. Yeah, right. So I was like, okay, fine. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a charity and I'm going to help other moms so that they don't have to feel like they have no other options in life, but terminating or giving her baby away to a better couple. Yeah. Moms deserve help. They need it. They're worthy. They're valuable. Babies are beautiful. You know what the best thing besides a baby is? Seeing a baby and a mother together. Yes. We should consider them a single unit. They are. Um, we, we should see them that way in society. Yeah. And they deserve help. And you don't have the right to adopt somebody else's baby for forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, but you were unwilling to help that mother so that she didn't lose it. Right. If you are not willing to help a mother with her child, then stay away from her baby. Mm -hmm. it's, that's not your baby. That's her baby. And that baby wants its mother. So what do we do about that? Because politicians suck. Charities have limited funds. Government agencies have waiting lists and all these disqualifiers. So what do we do? Guess what I know what to do through my experience struggling through motherhood. I know if you and I can put our heads together, we can solve a few problems. And if we can find a couple other moms, we can solve a lot of problems, actually. Yeah, right. So this is the answer. This is the answer. It's the obvious answer. Yeah. So how does that work then? And a practical side, putting modern solutions to it. Well, if you get on TikTok and you listen to all these moms talk about dating other moms and having sister wives, then why are we not doing that? Let's have a dating site for moms. And instead of romantic interest, let's just help each other. Yeah. Just help each other. That's and, fantastic. And, and it's so intuitive and it's so like a common sense approach. It, we just need to get the website built and then it's done. And then real changes can happen for families. Yeah. Yeah, I really I like your vision and I think it's thank smart. you. And you know how that old saying it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, you're rebuilding the village. We're bringing the village. Yes, you're rebuilding we are. it. Yeah, the and nuclear family it. dissolved the village, and you guys are bringing it back. It, it they're worth it. We're worth it, and we need to start saying better things to women and better things to men. The men need to understand, like, you can't just make mothers and leave them, yes. but you can step into that role and it's a heavy responsibility, but what you get out of it is amazing. Like you can be a good dad yep. and your baby wants you. Your baby doesn't want to call somebody else dad. Your baby wants you. Right. So if we're propping up mothers to help yeah. and pro family and we're telling men you can do it and those of us who have been through some of that fire can help mentor them in that guidance as well. We it's, and this is for the children. This is child centered. Yes, it absolutely yes. is. Yeah.
it's mother and child centered because I mean, I've seen research that's, that says, you know, basically baby does not even see itself as a separate organism for like the first six months or so. Yeah. Right. So like it is a unit and that's, that's a beautiful thing. And you know what? Like babies will be just fine if we take care of the mother. Yeah. If you care about that baby, is it losing weight? Is it cold? Does it need to die? What is it? What does that baby need? Right. That baby needs a good, healthy mom. Yeah. So if the baby's struggling, that means mom is struggling and we need to come in and help mom because she's the expert of her baby. Right. And that's what you learn in all the breastfeeding classes and new mom taking your daughter to the pediatrician, all the things you're the expert of your baby. Mm-hmm. And if that's true and we really believe this, and this is what we tell new mothers, then why are we not supporting them? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yours as well. Yeah. I, I just, I try to things like this. It's like to do whatever I can to try and support people that have these forward thinking ideas. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. And I hope you can make it to the summit. I don't know if I'm going yet or not, but I would really like to, because last year, it was like energizing and it was just, it was amazing. So many amazing people and like wherever you went, like hearing other people's stories, it was really something else. Somebody just. Yeah. And again, it's like, we are all related on this weird level. There's just this understanding. Like you don't have to tell me like, I, I, I understand, you know, and the things that I don't understand about you specifically, I understand enough to be able to give you that space to feel safe. Yeah. And that was like amazing as well. Like that gift of space to be authentic. And yeah, I hope I can go too. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's totally worth it. Totally yeah. worth it. And it'd be great for networking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah see you around i really enjoyed it yeah definitely thank you as well and have a really good evening you too